listener production. A warning, this podcast contains discussion of forced adoptions. There's still kind of a culture of secrecy, which is often wrapped up as privacy and confidentiality. It's just still difficult for people to get the information that they need or the services that they need. You know, when they finally have the courage to reach out, we often get a lot of adopted people who are ringing in and they don't know what to do, they don't know where to start, but they know that they want to find something. I'm Amelia Robahart. This is Secrets We Keep, Shame Lies and Family. Throughout this series, we've heard about the widespread impacts of the forced adoption era. One of the issues that continually came up was the challenging nature of finding and reconnecting with family. It's a process that can be unpredictable and one that can be difficult to do alone. But support is available. In this bonus episode, I talk to experts from two forced adoption support services about how someone can go about finding their family. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, Amelia. My name's Charlotte Smith. I'm the CEO of Vanish. I was born and adopted in London and raised in an English adoptive family. They were kind and loving. I grew up not really feeling like I belonged in that family and feeling like I was strange and different. And I was often told that I was different and they didn't understand me. So I just did my best with that. However, in my teens and 20s, I would have still told you that I had a happy childhood and that my adoption was a positive experience and not an issue. And I think that speaks to the kind of socialization of adoptees. There were never any conversations about the fact that I was adopted. It was really a taboo topic. So I realized quite quickly that that wasn't open for discussion. When I first did my search, my support was really my close circle of friends and my partner. I think that's probably why I felt ready to do my search, but I didn't have any professional support really. Although to be fair, I didn't think I needed it. So I'm not sure that I would have accessed it even if it was available. When I undertook my search when I was 28, I found that my mother was Australian and that she had been sent on her own on a plane to London to have me and find somewhere to take me to be adopted, which was very difficult to hear. I thought I was fine. I didn't realize what a big deal it was. I had no idea going into that search what an amazing emotional roller coaster it would be. No idea whatsoever. Really, in terms of professional support, that came when I first went to that first support group at Vanish. And that's when I really understood how powerful that kind of support could be, which was probably why I became so involved with Vanish, because I became very passionate about that 
information that was provided and education. So that was really helpful. So can you tell me a little bit about your work and Vanish? Vanish was set up 34 years ago to assist people affected by adoption to search for their family members and also to provide support and information about reunion and the impacts of adoption. And it was set up by people who had a lived experience. It was considered really important for people affected by adoption to be able to support people affected by adoption so that they had that understanding of what it's like. If someone listening has recently found out they've been affected by forced adoption or suspect they may be a product of forced adoption, what are the steps you suggest, the very first steps or the best way they can go about trying to find their family? So the first thing would be to apply for their records. We can assist individuals to understand what it is that they're applying for, how to access the records, help them understand what they're eligible to receive, help them with the application. If you've ever had to fill out government documents, you'll know how tedious it can be. When it comes to adoption records, this process gets significantly more complicated. The records available, what department holds them, and what information is included on them differs from state to state. I wanted to get a clearer picture of how these processes can work in other states. I reached out to one of the support services in my own home state called Jigsaw Queensland. They provide support for Queenslanders affected by adoption, as well as providing a federal government funded forced adoption support service. My name's Joanne Sparrow and I'm the president of Jigsaw Queensland. I'm Rachel Bell, I am a social worker who works for the Forced Adoption Support Service. So there's no streamlined process across Australia. Each state by state keeps their adoption records differently. Yes. Here in Queensland, they're all centralised, but in somewhere like New South Wales, there's lots of different services that hold the information, so that's why it can take a lot longer to gather the information. The information can be really detailed, which can feel quite overwhelming for somebody, you know, looking at their adoption information for the first time, or it can be quite sparse. There's usually a copy of the adoption order, so when the adoption was made official and legal, there might be some medical and social reports. Here in Queensland, the department that puts together the information, they, they go through the file and they write a nice little blurb about what the history was, whereas in a state like South Australia, the information is put together by the Freedom of Information team and they just send out a load of, you know, photocopied documents from microfiche and that can, you know, that can be quite confusing to look through. So your pre-adoption birth certificate can have a big red stamp on it saying not to be used for official purposes. Some of my adoption paperwork, big stamp, illegitimate child. Sometimes there can be derogatory information that kind of stuff can be really confronting. The order for the birth certificates always had birth or slash death of illegitimate child and you had to circle which one it was. So that's one of the first bits of paperwork you get back that says you're illegitimate. Yeah. 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 Based only because your parents weren't married. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Once someone's obtained their records, they can start undertaking a search to track down their family. Not everyone who applies for this information wants to start searching for their family. Others want to do it for themselves. But support services like Jigsaw and Vanish help navigate that search and potential reunion. We'll be providing support and information around what they might find in their records and how they might like to make their approach, assuming they can find the person they're searching for. And similarly with a mother who is seeking to contact their adult child, they also apply for their records and then the department will make contact with that adopted person and let them know that their mother or father is looking for them and see whether they're interested in contact and and then take it from there. You know, mothers can be very tentative about this because they're concerned that perhaps their adult child doesn't know they're adopted or that they don't want contact. You know, mothers receive some very negative messages through past adoption practices. So they're sometimes nervous about taking that step. You've heard a bit about vetoes throughout this series. It's a provision implemented by states that allow adoptive parents, mothers and adoptees to block each other from making contact. This is usually the stage of the search where you find out if there is a veto in place. When adoption records were opened up in the early 90s, mothers and adopted people could put a veto in place saying that they didn't want identifying information released and they didn't want to have contact. People were told that if you breach these, then you are liable to a fine and criminal prosecution. So in 2009, when that changed here in Queensland, the threat of criminal prosecution was removed, but the contact statements, the objection stayed in place. So you could kind of make up your own mind. You've been told you can't contact them. It's not illegal to contact them, but they don't want to be contacted. So, yeah, if somebody applies for their adoption information here in Queensland, then they are advised that there's an objection in place and that government agency will then contact either the birth parent or the adopted person and say, we've had an application for the information. Do you still wish this veto to be in place? Is it still current and relevant? A lot of people don't realise that the law has changed that stopped the penalties if people did contact them and sometimes they've left information there too. They could say, I prefer contact to be like this. There can be uh, yeah, yeah. wishes or statements that they would like to be passed on to that person or a letter can be left there for them. If they don't want direct contact, there can be that type of communication left. And what happens when there is a meeting? Like, how do you navigate that? Depends on what the person wants, you know, how they would like that to happen. If they choose to have that meeting, you know, without our support or, you know, us actually being there with them, then, yeah, the things that we recommend is that it's done very carefully and thoughtfully and respectfully. We encourage people to choose a a location that's mutually agreeable to both of them. Important to think about You know, do you want to go on your own? Do you want a support person with you? You know, someone from your family or a friend? And is that okay with the other party? What happens if someone has died, either the adoptee or the parents? What do you do in that circumstance? 
We try and gather as much information as possible from public records, Google, family history sites, state archives, anything that we can find to put information together for the person and we try and present it to them in like some sort of, you know, a representation so they have a record of that. We talk through, you know, the sort of personal grief rituals that, you know, whatever's meaningful to them. Not only do they have the, the, the loss, you know, the grief and loss around the adoption initially, it can have a massive impact on somebody to learn that they're experiencing another loss, you know, that there's no, no opportunity for them to meet them or get those other little bits of the jigsaw. Over the last few years, the adoption landscape has been transformed by DNA testing. And it surprised a few unsuspecting people. It's an extremely powerful tool and it's really helping people who've not been able to find their relatives. But it also carries that risk of finding out things that you didn't know. A lot of people get a DNA test for Christmas and think it's going to be fun. And then up comes the result that actually their mother and father are not their natural parents. So that is one of the ways that people are discovering and that can be quite shocking. I think a lot of people think that, oh, well, I'll only get a result if my mother's done the DNA test or my father's done the DNA test, and that's absolutely not the case. It's more complex than that. It's looking at the genealogy, going up the tree and then back down and looking at all the possibilities. So what that means is that an individual can, through DNA testing, get matches that may be really quite distant, but through researching those matches, they can identify who their father is or who their mother is or who their sibling is. I asked Joe and Rachel what advice they'd give to someone wanting to start the journey of finding their family. I would say reach out, get support, talk to an organisation that is able to offer you that information, tell you where to access resources, you know, who can actually help you through the journey. You know, I remember back before records opened up, there was no internet, there was nothing, you know, there was no information out there. And you just didn't think that there was other people out there who had the same issues or somebody that had experience, professional experience in working with people affected by adoption and can help you. You don't have to be alone. Reach out and, and get some support. And Charlotte says it's not just searching services that Vanish provide. There are support groups available too. Going into a support group where adopted people are talking about how important that is to them or how the loss has impacted them, it's a very complex experience. You know, if I just talk to somebody I know about my family, they get lost immediately. They're like, sorry, which mother, which sibling, you know, are you talking about? Whereas in that space, in the support group, everybody just nods because they're all following along really well because they also live that complexity, so they understand exactly who you're talking about. If this episode has raised any issues for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. If you've been affected by forced adoption, you can find support services in your state or territory by calling one 800 21 13 
You can find a link to the resource we put together on this episode in the show notes. If you want to hear more from Jigsaw Queensland, you can check out their podcast, Adopt Perspective, wherever you are listening. Secrets We Keep, Shame, Lies and Family is created and hosted by me, Amelia Roberhart. Produced by Bonnie Lavelle. Sound design and mix, Niall Fernandez. Executive producer is Ellen Liebeter. With thanks to Alastair Kirkby and Claire Weaver.